to our place. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 18. And this section, these, these few verses here, are some of the most uh, profound verses in all of the scriptures. They link us both to the ministry of Jesus that crosses both Old and New Testament. Really helps us to understand uh, how uh, the Father's love sent the Son and the implications for that uh, for all of us uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. And so let's pray together and then we'll look at uh, these few verses together this morning. Father, we thank you for, uh, Lord, even the thought <laughs> of uh, Christmas brings joy uh, to my heart. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that, Lord, that you would uh, bring more joy to our heart as we think about Christ, uh, as we think about celebrating uh, the incarnation, your birth, that you would capture our hearts, uh, you deepen our affections for you. And, Lord, even as we look at these few verses here this morning, we pray that you would do the same for us as we gather underneath your word uh, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. And so we come to verse 14, and John writes this, and the word became. And there's a shift, there's a, there's a change, because when we look at verse 14, verse 14 is very much linked in uh, to verse 1. Verse 1 says this, in the beginning. And what John is referring to is not a change in essence, or not a change in who the Logos is. We know the Logos is preexistent. We know the Logos are, in our language, the Word. We know that the preexistent Son, his name is who? His name is Jesus Christ. But John connects us with the book of Genesis, connects us with who Jesus was at the beginning. He was with God. The Word was with God. And the Word, the Logos, he created all things, and we've been looking at that as far as the introduction to the Gospel of John. But something happened, and John's calling our attention to that here in verse 14. He says, and the word became. There was a change, not in essence, but a change that is so profound that it was shocking to John's world. And the scripture says, and the word became flesh. Now, for us, that kind of scoots right over our head. But in John's day, it was anything but that. The doceticism of the day was that he felt like the spirit of Jesus kind of hovered over him or, or rested upon Jesus. Jesus and John said, no, it's not, nothing like that. The word became flesh. And then there was other, the Greek philosophers, and they said, oh, it's the great rational principle of that holds the universe together. And John goes, no, he, he does do that but the word became flesh. And the best way to understand that is the word became blood and guts. The word became a little baby boy. One of the things that I was blessed to do, how many of you have been there uh, at the birth of your child? Well, I got, to, I got to have a spectator's view of the birth of both my kids. And I want to say it was blood and it was guts and it was... Messy, messy, like shocking. Like the first, when Rebecca was born, I said, oh my God, that, look at the size of that head. Boom, and she's out there. And she's all covered with, you know, you know. anyway, I don't want to, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. 
It was messy. <laughs> it was messy. It was messy. And that's the way Jesus came. Jesus came. Jesus came as a little baby boy to a natural birth, but a supernatural, supernatural conception. The Holy Spirit came to Mary. Mary's egg and the Holy Spirit combined. Fully God and fully man. And the implications of that are absolutely profound. Because without that, we never have a Savior. Without that, we never have, and we'll, we'll get to the Old Testament language, but we would never fully have the Lamb of God. We never have perfection, sinless. Sinless perfection that came and gave his life so that you and I could have life. It was a remarkable pronouncement that John made that turned his world both philosophically and scripturally in the sense of the Hebrew mindset, turned the world because the blood and guts of fully God, fully man entered into our world in history to be the Lamb of God, to be the Savior. John doesn't stop there. He says, and the Word of God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And John uses this word to say that he pitched his tent among us, that he tabernacled among us. And we know that Emmanuel means what? God with us. And what John is once again, as in, in the beginning, and the word became flesh, he connects us to that first book of the Bible, Genesis. Now, he connects us to the second book of the Bible, which is what? This is a test. Exodus, thank you very much. And so come with me to Exodus, would you? And look at Exodus 25. Exodus 25, uh, the, the Lord has given the law to Moses. And then once again, what John connects us with us is this pro profound insight of the heart of God towards us and his desire to be amongst us, his desire to have relationship with us, the desire to have fellowship with us, and it is the most significant thing as a life of a believer if you want to go deeper in Christ, if you want to have a better understanding of who God is. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. After the giving of the law, here's what the Lord, all this law and law and stuff is like twisting my tongue and my contortions. But Exodus 25, verse 8. The Lord says this, and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. This word for sanctuary, there's some synonyms. A synonym for that would be tabernacle. Another one would be tent. He says that, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, and I'm going to show you exactly, exactly what that looks like. So this tabernacle was a, was a tent. It was made out of poles and, and uh, animal skins and gold, and this tabernacle sat right in the middle of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was at that place that God came and he fellowshiped and he spoke to his people. And they packed up that tent. And what happened during the daytime when they, when they packed up that tent? What happened? God followed that light, that tent with a cloud and, and, and uh, coming down on that tabernacle. And at night, what happened when they set up that tent 
and God's manifest presence was in that tent, what happened? He had that pillar of fire by night. It was an awesome scene. How many of you have been, sorry to make you participate so much this morning, I can't see you at home, but you could always participate online. How many of you have been to a sight and sound in, in Pennsylvania? Ah, one, two, three. Have you been to, right next to sight and sound, is a, is a replica or a model of what? The tabernacle. And it's so cool to go through it and to, to be able to go into the holy place and the holy of holies and understand that God revealed himself to his people. Now that tabernacle, and here's the deeper truth that we want to kind of connect with and, and understand what the implications are. The deeper truth is that that tabernacle, that tent, was looking forward to who? Looking forward to Jesus Christ. That he would come and he would do what? He would tabernacle amongst his people so that we could have what with God? So that we could have fellowship with God. So that we could know him. Come with me to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 9. And take a look at this connection that John makes connecting the ministry of Jesus, the sacrificial ministry of Jesus, the atoning work of Jesus to that tabernacle where God came and fellowshiped with his people. And we know in that tabernacle, on that great day of atonement, in the Holy of Holies, there was one person and one, one animal that entered the Holy of Holies, right? That one person on that one day of the year, the, the high priest would come in and he'd bring what? A pure spotless lamb into that, into that holy of holies, and he would sacrifice that lamb for the atonement of the sins of the people. Well, that all, all of that was a shadow, was a type, uh, was a, a virtual image, to bring us up to date here, of what was to come. And what was to come was the person of Jesus Christ. Take a look at how John connects the New Testament with the Old Testament. Look at how we gain an understanding of the ministry of Jesus, and then we'll, we'll comment it to uh, what are the implications for us. So look at Hebrews chapter 9, and look at verse 21 with me. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies, the type, the shadow. The Old Testament is a copy of what is in the heavenlies, and it is a shadow of what's to come. And who was coming? Jesus was coming. We're going to celebrate his coming. When? There's no trick here. Christmas. There you go. You all got 100. There we go. So we're going to celebrate his coming at Christmas. So thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things for the, the heavenly things themselves with their better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, speaking of the tabernacle, speaking of the sanctuary, speaking of the tent, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Come up to verse 11. But when Christ appeared 
as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us what? Securing for us an eternal redemption. What are the implications for, for this for us? Is that God desires to have fellowship with us. That's the implication. God desires to commune with us. God desires, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to indwell us and to speak to us. God has been consistent in the Old Testament and making a place where he could fellowship, where he could commune, where he can talk with his people. John says this in verse 14, and the word became flesh, and he pitched his tent among us. And he just didn't leave it there. He completed his work of atonement, and he was brought back to the Father, and at the ascension, when he went back to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you and I. And the greatest truth that we have in the Scriptures is that God indwells his people, those that have called upon his name, those that have repented of their sins. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to abide in us. And if we want to grow in spirituality, if we want to grow in peace, if we want to grow in joy, it's about this. It's about that prayer that we prayed around the Lord's table. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come into my heart afresh? Lord, would you come into my heart and meet with me? Lord, as we read your word, Lord, would you speak to us? Because the great purpose of God is this, that he didn't want his people to live without him. He didn't want his people to wander without the presence of Almighty God in their midst, either through an Old Testament tabernacle or tent, through the temple, through the coming of the word of God, the Logos and Jesus Christ, through the Christ, the anointed one, sending the Holy Spirit to us. He doesn't want us to live alone. He wants us to live in communion with him. And so the great truth about growing in the Lord is growing in his word, allowing him to speak to us and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and speak to us and bring us into that place where we can experience Christ's peace and his joy in our life. Come back to John with me. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the only begotten Son, the monogonies. We have seen that glory. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I see this word for glory, I think of that, that, that great time where Jesus displayed his glory and he displayed his brilliance and magnificence and his holiness, where James, Peter, and John looked at that glory and all the other, all the other gospel um, writers, when we look at the synoptic gospels in Matthew 17 and Mark 9 and Luke 9, we see that transfiguration of Christ. So when I think of glory, when I think of the scriptures, I think of that transfiguration of Christ. But John does not. Matthew, Mark, and Luke speak of the transfiguration. They think of the glory. And so that begs the question, what glory is John talking about? 
How does, he, how does he say that he has seen the glory of God and yet doesn't mention the transfiguration? The answer to that helps us understand, the implication of that helps us understand how we glorify God. If it wasn't the transfiguration, what did John attribute to seeing as the glory of God? Well, come with me and John, we'll look at one. I've given you the other two, but come with me to John chapter 12 for a minute. And what does, how does John grab a hold of the glory that he's seeing? Well, look at John chapter 12 with me, verse 23. The other two references, if you're taking notes, is John chapter 12, 13, 31, and John 17, 1. What is the glory that John sees when he looks at Jesus? He says this, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? The Son of Man to be glorified. And what is John speaking of? He's speaking of the cross. He's not speaking about the transfiguration. And the way that Jesus glorified the Father and received the, the glory from his Father, the way Jesus glorified the Father, is the same way we glorify God, which is how? Through being a humble servant. Through laying down our lives for one another. It's not about position, title, and power which it was in John's day for the Greeks and all the, all the mystery religions of John day, John's day, that glory was about power. Glory was about having secret truth. Glory was about having prominence. Glory was about having influence over people. Glory for John was this, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, went to the cross, and in the cross, and in his servanthood, and in him laying down his life, he glorified the Father, and the Father honored the Son. You and I, the implications for us, if you want to bring glory to God, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not just a phrase for the gospel co coalition. Oh, glory, we're going to bring glory to God. No, it's not just a phrase. It's laying down your life. It's being a servant. It's being a servant to the least of these. And as we go through the Gospel of John, you're going to see Jesus coming to serve different people groups, ethnic groups that were, were disparaged, ethnic groups that were considered dogs, women that were treated as, 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 as just material, chattel. You're going to see Jesus come and serve those people and in the midst of that service, in the midst of going to the cross, Jesus brought glory to his Father. He glorified the Father in his servant. You want to know how to use that buzzword? Oh, I, I want to live a life to glory. I want to, I want to live my life to glorify God. Well, that's a good prayer. But if we're going to walk in the steps of Jesus, it means serving people means loving people. It's about being a peacemaker in the midst of division. It's about representing a kingdom that's above the kingdom of our world. It's about coming and speaking peace into people's hearts and lives. It's about service. Jesus glorified the Father by becoming obedient and giving up his life so that you and I could have life. What flows out of that as we glorify God, 
What does God do to empower us to live this life? Well, God does this. He gives us grace upon grace. He gives us an, an inexhaustible grace as we glorify him through service. He gives us a, he gives us a grace that's sustaining. He gives us a grace that's empowering. He gives us a grace that brings hope. He gives us a grace that changes and transforms our heart and life from the inside out as we glorify God the same way Jesus did. Look at the text with me. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son, the monogonies, the one of a kind. From the, I love the King James phrase here. It says, From the Father's bosom He sent the Son. One of a kind, never to be repeated. It says, we have seen the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Look at verse 16. And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace, for the law has been given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known to us. And so as we, as we glorify God with our life, here's what gets released in our life. What gets released in our life is grace to live this life with joy and confidence in God. If you remember what John 10.10 10 says, come there with me. Some of you might not know. But it's a great verse of describing what this inexhaustible grace looks like. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, speaking of the devil, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that life more abundantly. The message of John is that Jesus came as blood and guts, Jesus came as a baby boy in the same way that the tabernacle was established. Jesus came to fulfill that, that tabernacle so that we could have fellowship with him. He entered our world as blood and guts so that we could enjoy having fellowship with him and living a life like this, a life that brings glory to God like Jesus did. And how did Jesus bring glory to God? He became that suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He became that one that was despised and rejected. He became that one that bore our sins like all we like sheep have gone astray. And he bore our sins on the cross by becoming an atoning sacrifice, becoming the Lamb of God that was taken into that tent, into that sanctuary, Old Testament, pure and sinless. He is that Lamb of God that went to the cross. And as we glorify God by having a servant's heart and a, and a servant's life, what he does for us is he brings grace upon grace, an inexhaustible supply of his grace and the presence of God into our life to bring his peace and his joy in the midst of a difficult situation. In all of life, he gives us grace to sustain us. As we look at our world around us, let us be those 
Let us be those grace bearers to our neighbors. Come Tuesday, there's going to need to be a lot of grace because there's going to be what? Winners and losers. And let us be that people that are dispensers of God's grace in the midst of the turmoil in people's hearts that will come. Let us be a representative of a, of a stronger, more powerful, more enduring, more eternal kingdom than the kingdom that we live in this side of heaven. Let us be that people that speak to the inner heart of, a, of the men and women that all that they had hoped in to happen will be thwarted. All that they've given their time and money and energy to over the last several years, they will be disappointed. Do you know that we're seeking a kingdom? Not the kingdom of this world. You know, we're seeking a country, but not a country of this side of heaven. Do you know we're seeking a country and a city with sure foundations, but not this side of heaven. We're seeking a country with sure foundations, more lasting, more enduring, more eternal than any country or government this side of heaven. Because we are called to be citizens not only of this world, but of the world to come. Would you be dispensers of grace upon grace? Would you be a servant to the people in your community and the people in your neighborhood? Would you be a kind-hearted person to point people to something that's, that's greater than the temporal, more lasting, more enduring, more meaningful, more joy-filled, more full of peace than what's offered this side of heaven? That's what's going to be required of us as representatives of, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even in this room today, there's going to be some broken hearts, disappointment. Their guy didn't win. Their platform didn't make it. God has made us representatives of his grace. How much grace? An abundant grace. Grace upon grace and an inexhaustible grace. Are you up for that? Jesus came to abide in, with us. He pitched his tent among us. He lived a life. Matter of fact, literally he pitched his tent only for a season of time. Then he went back to the Father and he sent us the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit could, could indwell in our hearts and our lives and that we would have an unbroken fellowship with God. And as we glorify God by being a servant, he brings his peace and grace upon grace in our hearts and our lives. Our world needs Jesus and needs that grace of God. And we are going to have an opportunity to be dispensers of that grace. Would you do it with me? Would you? Would you be a peacemaker? Would you be a dispenser of grace? Come Wednesday morning or Thursday morning or Friday morning, whenever it gets worked out, would you not be, would you not be part of a problem, but part of a solution, which is to glorify God through serving the people around us and glorify God 
by lifting up Jesus Christ as the answer to the longings in people's hearts and life. We get to be that. We are that people. We are the people of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And our hearts are dispensers of his grace, grace upon grace, and abundant grace. Well, I'd say that's some preaching, isn't it? I hope you take it to heart that when, when, if your world gets rocked, know that there's something more enduring, more lasting, and something that we're all seeking more for than a temporal fix that we think is right. God is on his throne, and he's calling people, men and women, to personal faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is our mission. Amen? Can I pray for you this morning? Natasha's going to come and close us. But Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would deposit your grace, grace upon grace, an abundant supply of grace in each person's heart that's sitting here this morning, each heart that's listening at home. Would you transform us? Transform us by your grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Help us, help us to be representatives of that grace and truth, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, and one or two of you said, I can't wait to get out of here. Anyway, God bless you. God bless you. And uh, drill into Jesus over the next couple of days. Find your center in him. Find your peace and your joy in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen.